You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Turn your idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work, selling products of any kind, or creating a podcast. Podcast. With beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about everything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. Kevin, I've made like eight with Squarespace, right? Yes. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help you out. Head to squarespace.com slash C-W-O for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code C-W-O to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You've probably heard of Mace, the brand that invented pepper spray. Mace also has tons of awesome self-defense products, pepper sprays, pepper guns, stun guns, personal alarms, and more. With Mace, you're prepared for scary situations like creepy parking lot garages and dark alleys podcast closets. (laughs) Visit mace.com and check out their combo kits. With Mace Combo Kits, they include all the tools that you'll need to protect yourself. Enter promo code CRIME Crime. for 20% off combo kits today. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about true crime, pop culture, journalism, and this week we'll take a look at the latest from Gimlet Media, Conviction, plus an update on the local case we've talked about a whole lot, and other podcasts have talked about a whole lot more, the Maura Murray mystery. Joining me to get that done, and even more, is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and the guy who gave me the stupid cold, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hey, girl. (laughs) That's how I got the cold. Knock it off. What, being all Ryan Gosling stop on you? Stop it. Stop getting romantic. Hey, girl. Stay away. Look, I see how tight my shirt is up here <laughs> and my pecs. <laughs> Those aren't pecs. I think you like missed that day in anatomy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady and rarefied rage walker, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, yeah. I am uh, doing lots of cat stuff this week and lots of rage walking as well um, because there's some guy that will not get off that stupid speed bag at the indoor track. And pretty soon my rage is going to come out. So stay tuned. All right. We will stay tuned and we will make sure to tell that guy to get the fuck out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) And finally with us is our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, our Patreon book club host, and a guy that Kevin also transmitted his cold to over microphones and space and time, (laughs) Toby Ball. Hello, Toby, and I'm sorry to hear you're not feeling well. What, are you kidding me? (laughs) You busted my balls? (laughs) Yeah, I got called. We do. So for everybody who hates podcasts where people sound congested, this might not be the episode for you. (laughs) Go back and find one of our previous episodes. I'm doing my best. I had some DayQuil right before we taped. Well, about an hour before we taped. And then even though I know that alcohol constricts the nasal passages... You just can't help yourself. I'm supplementing oh, it mistake. with some Hendrix yeah. uh, and grapefruit. And I think this is the spite of vitamin C and DayQuil. And what are you drinking, Kevin? I'm drinking some chai tea. It's but hot. It's not really chai. It's made from powder. I call well, it I uh, mean, oval tea. Yes, oval tea. <laughs> now, I found out that chai is actually the word for tea. Yes. So when you're saying chai tea, you're saying tea tea? Yes, who told you that? 
um, we had a, a friend who had, who had a, a colleague over. She was from India. She was a. They were both physicians. Yes, and but the first person to tell she, you that was Rabia Chaudhry. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Which is like Kevin. You're just saying TT. You're saying TT. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Sorry, Rabia. I forgot. So I'm having some TT. Well, I speaking of of Rabia Chaudhry, our friend and uh, warrior in every sense of the word, I do have an update for our audience. Last week we talked a little bit about the HBO four part docu series that's coming out, the case against Adnan Syed, and I mentioned in the podcast that we will be talking about it on the on the show, but maybe when it's all wrapped up because of our production schedule and the way that it works. And my thinking was the show comes out on Sunday nights, and you know we usually tape like on Wednesday or Thursday, so like we'd always be behind. But through the magic of Hollywood connectivity and niceness. By the fine folks at HBO, yes, we will be able to review the case against Adnan Syed week by week. So Yay. we will be tracking it just like we tracked Serial season one. So you can watch the show Sunday night on HBO. Yes, and then Monday morning will be our podcast talking about it. Correct. That's wow. Awesome. We will be your water cooler conversation. As those dudes dig that hole, looking for God knows what. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Oh. We'll finally find out. Saw the promo before True Detective this uh, the previous exciting, week. Exciting, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you understand anything that anybody was saying in the promo? Oh, because of the way the audio was mixed. <laughs> yeah, Fuck yeah, I think that, I kind of no. did. Yeah, I, I've developed a new theory on this. Okay, on Lara, Lara, we actually have a new segment of the podcast that I want to introduce this evening. <laughs> so I'm going to premiere that now. <laughs> Laura talks, talks about, about the True Detective, the true detective episode, episode she couldn't she hear. Couldn't hear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. I have found a way that I can finally hear True Detective. I want. I hope you're all sitting down. So wait, so wait. You found a way to watch it and be able to understand the audio yes. what people are saying? Okay, And ahead. I think this also explains why it is so that people who watch it on a TV in the normal people way cannot hear anything that anybody's saying because we're already, you know. Um, so I, I listened, I watch it on my iPad with, with headphones on and I can actually hear because uh-huh. I crank it up. And I think that's probably how they edit it with their headphones on cranked up. They don't actually sit there and like test it on a TV like they should for the normal rest of the world like the rest of us. So I don't know what happened last week because I fell asleep, but I did hear some things before I fell asleep. It's not the people who are making the show. It's not. And this is how I know. I watch so many HBO shows like Insecure, Kevin, as you know, Uh is my favorite shows. Yeah. I can't understand the it's audio. The and it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the it's the highs and lows. It's the, it's the way they're broadcasting that that network. It's not the the mixing. It's the broadcast mix, not the individual shows. Okay. Well, either way, I still think that the detective's wife did it. So uh, stay tuned for my review <laughs> next week because she's super sketchy. And thus ends our first edition of Laura, Laura talks, talks about, about the true detective, the true detective episode, episode she couldn't hear. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give a nod to our one of our listeners who actually suggested this should be a regular segment of yeah. our podcast. Yeah. You know I had I my did, doubts. Well, I did. I put, I turned on the closed captioning so I could do the, I could hear that scene. One should not on have to do that when they're watching well, a show in the language the in, that you actually speak. Well, no, I still he, don't know. Like what happened, Kevin? What happened? <laughs> Oh, there was that thing that they down our day. Yeah. Here's here's the gist. 
We don't know specifically what happened. We just know they did something bad. Yeah. And that Stephen Dorff, old Stephen Dorff, is concerned that dementia, Mahershala Ali, yes, I did practice saying that name a few times before this show. I got so much shit about it before, and I apologize profusely for it online. He's worried that uh, his character will reveal when he's in, being interviewed by Alias Grace TV reporter what they did. But we don't know what they did. So you didn't miss that. Right? Is that about right, Kevin? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Although by the time this episode airs, the next episode will have aired and right. everyone will know. know what they did. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It depends. Yeah. I'll take a nice photo for Twitter this week of myself with my giant headphones listening to True Detective. <laughs> Fantastic. So, I, I mean, stay I'm tuned. enjoying watching it. Like, I still think it's derivative of season one, but I'm enjoying watching it. Right, Kevin? It's oh, yeah. No, yeah. no. I think it's. I think the performances are great. I think I'm really surprised by Stephen Dorff. Oh, he's so good. I was like... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, other than in that e-cigarette ad commercial, like, what, right. the, what the hell has this guy done? That's right. He's like, wow, he's actually really good. I know, he's fantastic. Yeah, and of course, uh, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> the lead actor is spectacular. <laughs> the Academy Award winner. He's pulling. He's carrying the whole. show. I know you can say it. We can all say it. And then, by the way, I'm not. We're not saying that this name is difficult to pronounce. I'm just acknowledging the fact that I did. I'm in fact, that, that I. It's in my head, and I can't. I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. Yeah. It's in your head because I fucked it up. That's why it's in your head. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a John Travolta. Oh, and is in is in Menzel. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Well. Anyway, we're mangling these names. Anyway, I did actually listen to an interview so I get the pronouncer right. And then I just wrote the phonetic spelling <laughs> wrong on the script. But I was so sure of it because I had done that due diligence. I was so sure because I was like, oh, the phonetics are there. I'm just going to follow my own phonetics because I know how to do radio phonetics. But I did not do them right. And I didn't do it right. And I apologized to everyone involved. Anyway, moving on. Kevin, feelings were hurt. <laughs> feelings were hurt by some of our <laughs> listeners. And I'm really sorry that I pronounced that Oscar winning actor's name <laughs> incorrectly about 100 times. I just call him Mr. Ali. <laughs> That's a good idea. It's a very good idea. All right, Kevin, we're bringing back a segment that we debuted a few weeks ago. Can you please introduce this one for us? Toby's Obscure Podcast Corner. Now, for those of you who may have missed our episode a few weeks ago, we introduced this segment. This is the part of the show in which Toby tells us about some obscure podcast he's been listening to. And makes the case for why one or more of us, or maybe people in our audience, should check it out. And it's always something super obscure. So, Toby, what have you got for us this week? Okay, I don't think this is going to be obscure for long, to be honest with you. Okay, so by the time this episode drops, maybe this will sound really dumb. Is that what you're saying? I don't think it'll be quite that quick. It's okay. called uh, the Joe Rogan experience. and uh... Yeah. It's this guy does mixed martial arts. He's kind of a comedian. Um, He's in the news radio. So uh, what I listen to Savage is- Savage Love. It's a... Shut up, Rebecca. Let him go. I can't work under these conditions. Cold medicine Rebecca is like uh, espresso yeah. bean Lara. All right, I mean, sorry. This is... Go ahead, Toby. What are we talking about? Your Toby's obscure, obscure podcast. podcast <laughs> no, Which okay. won't be obscure. So, um, all right. So I'm listening to- this podcast, it's put out by Southern California News Group, which I think the Orange County Register is the big newspaper that's part of that group. And it's called Crime Beat. And this is the first season. And it's called Stealing Nixon's Millions. In March of 1972, seven guys from Youngstown, Ohio, tried to steal $30 million from President Richard Nixon. The biggest bank heist in the history of the United States is a crime very likely you've never heard about. 
So the deal is, the host uh, is this guy, Keith Sharon, and he, uh, a little over 10 years ago, wrote a 10-part story in the Orange County Register about the subject of this podcast, which is this sort of like genius of bank heists, a guy named Emil Dinzio, who's from Youngstown. He like finds out, and this is a true story, that there's this bank in this little town in California that uh, Richard Nixon has stashed uh, like some money he's gotten through a combination of basically putting the screws to milk farmers somehow uh, that involves former Texas governor, John Connolly, but they basically somehow extorted milk farmers. So he has this money and then the Teamsters bribed Nixon to let Jimmy Hoffa out of prison. And so that was another $3 million. So the idea is there's like $30 million that's in a safety deposit box in this bank in this little California town. And so this bank burglary genius, Emil Dincio, like assembles this team of bank burglars. And when you leave off, they're they're flying to Los Angeles to do this robbery. Like an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing? It's a little bit. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of a Scorsese um, mm-hmm. in that he's, it's sort of a combination of amusement and then also seriousness. And he has some... I don't know. It's sort of editorial stuff. I think it's also really interesting. So I, I really like it. You know, it's the kind of thing where I could see like a month from now when a few more episodes have come out would be like a normal review for us because yeah. I think it's it's that good. So I would definitely recommend it to people, like especially if you like Crime Town, for yep. instance. Mm-hmm. I like it more than Crime Town. It's not quite as heavily produced, I guess, but I think it's it's got some similar appeal it's highly recommended, so people should check it out. And what's that called again, Toby? Crime Beat, season one, Stealing Nixon's Millions. And Toby, before we end the segment of the show, do you want to explain the difference between a bank burglar and a bank robber? Okay, so this is this is actually uh, part of the first episode. Like a burglary is something that you do like through planning and cleverness and sort of understanding the place that you're going to burgle, whereas a robbery is uh, when you go in like with guns and like tell everybody to get on the floor and up. like just steal the money through brute force. That's right. And what they say is that any idiot can rob a bank, meaning that you have to be a pro to, to burgle a bank. Got so, it. And I think the technical definition of burglary and robbery is that a burglary happens when there's no people there and a robbery happens when you there are people there, right? I don't know if that's part of the definition. That's what I've always heard is the definition. Anyway, all right, so Toby- uh, You could burgle a house house while people are in there. No, you rob a house, people are in there. You burgle a house, people aren't home. That's what I've always understood anyway. All right, well, thus ends this week's edition of- Toby's Toby's Obscure Obscure Podcast Podcast Corner. All right, well, moving on. Now for a more familiar kind of update on this show. Kevin- can you say that for me, please? True, True crime, crime podcast, podcast update. Many of our listeners may be familiar with a little case of a missing person named Maura Murray. Of course, she was a subject of the Missing Maura Murray podcast. Well, this week, that case was back in the news. Fred Murray, Maura Murray's father, says he wants to look under the floor of a house near where his daughter disappeared almost 15 years ago. You may remember that Maura Murray crashed her car on a snowy road in rural New Hampshire. 
She was spotted perhaps leaving the scene out of hope before vanishing. And you may also remember that Kevin and I on this podcast have said many, many, many times that we do not believe that Maura came to some nefarious end, but probably wandered off into the woods and died. Yes. But her case is the subject of intense interest, and there have been a lot of developments lately and a lot of things written up in the media. So I decided to reach out to someone who knows a little bit more about this case, admittedly, than we do. I am Maggie Freeling, and crime writers on audience might know me from The Disappearance of Maura Murray, which aired on Oxygen in 2017. And you're also a longtime journalist, and you have become my go-to dependable, reliable online source for updates around the Maura Murray case, right? Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, just for people who may have been living under a true crime rock for the last couple years, can you want to just give a thumbnail sketch of the Maura Murray case for those people who did not listen to Missing Maura Murray or watch your show or know a whole lot about what's been going on? Absolutely. So Maura Murray was a 21-year-old college student from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, And she was driving for unknown reasons up through the White Mountains, crashed her car on February 9th, 2004. And that was the last time anybody saw her. She disappeared and has been missing for 15 years. It was just the 15th anniversary a couple days ago. And it's fair to say that her case has become somewhat of like a centerpiece of this whole like true crime pop culture moment. And I think, you know, the guys on the Maura Murray podcast sort of framed it as like her disappearance was right before the explosion of the Internet. So there's just a lot of questions that you might be able to answer about regular cases that you can't answer about this case because it was like pre-iPhone and pre-Facebook and all that stuff. But there's more there. There's like other reasons why people are interested in this, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a whole convergence of things. Um, she went missing the week Facebook was launched. So that's a really interesting fact. So that was kind of like this boom in social media and social networking. Um, she did have a flip phone. So, you know, there was that kind of cell phone thing and cell phone pings that we have seen in like the Adnan case. But, you know, the most interesting thing is the mystery of nobody knows why she was going up to New Hampshire. She Mm. did not tell anybody why she was going up there. We don't even know if that was her final destination. She had never been to Haverhill, New Hampshire before, which is very close to the border of Vermont. So there's just like a mystery and a mystery. Why was she going up there? And then what happened to her once she crashed her car? And where is she now? Right. And she was, um, I think it's well documented, you know, experiencing some personal hardships, somewhat troubled personal situation, perhaps some substance use mm-hmm. issues, you know, some family drama and angst, some, um, you know, multiple car accidents, all that stuff that kind of led up to her leaving. And, you know, I, I guess she wasn't truthful with the, the school, UMass, about yeah. you know why she was leaving and so forth. There's a lot of other things kind of mixed in. Yeah. Um, now, I have said, and if you listen to my podcast, which I'm like a tiny bit embarrassed to know that you do, knowing that I've said this so many times, but I have, <laughs> I have done a lot of true crime writing uh, involving and reporting involving New Hampshire authorities and, you know, investigations in New Hampshire. And I have said many times on my podcast that I am all but certain that Maura Murray's end was not the result of somebody's, you know, evil doing, that she probably wandered off into the woods and died of hypothermia Mm -hmm. or something like that. And Mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for that, you know, a body to not be found after that period of time. But I want to go on record with you now and tell you, um, and this is not to make light of it, but that if recent developments lead somewhere else, 
I am willing to eat my hat on my podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> because I have I have been one of these skeptics for this long. So uh, just know, because I, I feel that way about the case, I have not been obsessively following every development that's been happening. But I know there's stuff happening now. I've seen stories in the Boston Globe and in my local mm-hmm. papers here. What is going on right now with this case? So what is going on right now leads back to last summer. Um, For the Murrays, you know, obviously it leads back to actually 2004 when Fred identified this property. But the whole, you know, internet mumblings of what's going on leads back to last summer. Fred Murray uh, connected with a private investigator and they were doing some searches of properties that, you know, the internet has talked about that have long been talked about in the community. Um, The A-frame house is one of them. And they identified this property, which is very, very close to the crash site. It's a stone's throw away, a um, couple houses down. And it is a property Fred has been interested in since the beginning. It's one of his, you know, quote, local dirtbag people that the community had always just talked about. In the past, Fred had never been able to get into the house because the current owners, what I have just found out from law enforcement actually, is that it was a very elderly lady and her disabled son who, you know, for whatever reasons, were not able to answer the door and just never made that connection with Fred to let him in. So recently it changed ownership and Fred was able to go into the house with cadaver dogs and GPR, ground penetrating radar, where you can, you know, see through the ground for any anomalies. And what Fred says is that they have two cadaver dog hits from two separate dogs on separate days and an anomaly in the ground in that spot. Hmm. So that is currently where we are at. So where are we going now? I mean, is professionally speaking, I know a lot of the law enforcement uh, people in the, in the New Hampshire Attorney General's office and stuff, and I know that they are very circumspect and that their line is always going to be, we won't comment on a continuing mm-hmm. investigation. I know this case was never technically closed, so they, they can't tell us exactly what they are doing right now. But mm-hmm. where, where do you think this is going to go next? Do you have any inkling of that? So... I have been in touch closely with the police since the documentary for, you know, so for about two years now. I have a direct line through Art Roderick, a former U.S. Marshal who I worked with in the documentary. And he's really close with the New Hampshire State Police because they often go to him, you know, advice, you know, what's going on, keep him updated, law enforcement to law enforcement. So from what I have been told is that this is not a property that is new to the New Hampshire State Police. They have been to this property multiple times over the years with cadaver dogs. So, you know, on the one hand, the family is saying they're getting two hits from two separate cadaver dogs, and the police is saying, you know, we're not terribly interested. We have been to this house before. We have searched it with our own dogs, and we have found nothing of significance. So... It's kind of causing a rift right now in the community over, you know, what should be done. It's really difficult because when you are New Hampshire State Police, they don't have endless amount of resources to be digging up every community mumbling, I guess, for lack of a better term, every, you know, tip that comes in, they need to have more of a viable lead for that. And for them, it's something they have checked out in the past. So they're not exactly jumping to use their resources on this at this particular moment. Um, And so they have been trying to speak with the family about this. Um, We all know from the past, the family and the police do not have the best relationship. So we're kind of at a stonewall at that about communication at the moment. I speak to Julie Murray often, Maura's sister, 
And she knows that we started a GoFundMe last summer. We've raised about $10,000 for the family to do whatever they need with. And we have offered that money for them if they want to do the dig on their own, which the police have said they fully back. So that's kind of where we are. I'm hoping there will be a dig. I think everything should be looked at. We, myself, the Missing Maura Murray guys, Art Roderick, we worked with a really reputable ground-penetrating radar company last summer to search the A-frame and one of the houses next door to the crash site. And they offer their services pro bono. So there are resources for the family to do this if they don't want to wait for the police. Well, the cold case unit, as you mentioned, is working with very minimal resources here Mm -hmm. in the state. They have over 100 cases and just a very few people to investigate them. So I understand kind of the resourcing stuff there. Mm -hmm. But I do think this continuing advocacy by Maura's dad and his, you know, there's a little bit like, as you mentioned, an antagonism with law enforcement here. It would be nice to see something happen despite that, because Mm -hmm. I I do think the case has sort of been shrouded rather unfortunately, I think, in this, you know, kind of conspiracy theory land around law enforcement, which I I personally think is unfortunate when I when I see that only because, again, I've done so much reporting in in this state, especially around law enforcement. And I know that, like, the New Hampshire State Police isn't it's not like the city of Baltimore. It's just right. not. They're not, they're not right. getting up in the morning thinking like, how can we mess this up, you know, and make ourselves. Right. They just That's just not how they work. I don't know. I mean, is that, is that your sense too? Or do you feel like there might be something going on that I'm blind to because I haven't been paying attention to this case? No, 100%. And I do a lot of criminal justice reporting. I'm often very skeptical of police. You know, like you said, Baltimore. I mean, I live in New York City. There is often a lot of police corruption. And working with Art, who is you know, U.S. Marshal, he kind of often oversees things that happen. He is very confident. He was like, I have not seen anything. I would be the first to call out if there was something fishy with the New Hampshire State Police. You know, there were missteps in the beginning, but the folks who were on the cold case unit right now are not covering anything up. There have been rumors lately that they've been like moving bodies around. Like, Art and myself have gotten none of those vibes, actually. The police are very open with Art and telling him what they are working on. They've followed every lead we have given them multiple times. They are currently in touch with the homeowners of this house, checking in again. You know, they want this solved more than anybody. I mean, the whole world is looking at them to solve this, and I'm pretty sure they want... Fred Murray, who's a, who's like a pretty tough cookie off their back at this point. I personally do not believe that there is anything that they are doing that is hindering this case in any sort of way. And I do know that right now they are following a lead that they think is very viable. And they always tell us that this case is solvable. Well, Maggie, I really hope that I can call on you again if there are future developments in the Maura Murray case, because... I kind of feel like you're my people and like you're on the inside. (laughs) And again, I will eat my hat on my podcast if it turns out that there is more here. So thank you so much for filling me in on all this. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed this and I'm glad we could talk about some of these rumors out there and kind of answer some questions. Laura, you just heard my talk there with Maggie Freeling. First of yes. all, she's awesome. Is she not? Yes, she is awesome. She is. I feel bad that we kind of like, you know, picked on her uh, 
muddy, salt-covered car. But uh, she's... <laughs> she's a working journalist. It was authentic. When I look at my car, I'm like, I, I really should have nothing to say. <laughs> well, one, one of the parts of the interview you didn't hear, because I, you know, we, we chatted for a while after we did that little recording there, and she was like, I know you didn't like the documentary, and that's fine. And I'm like... It wasn't you. <laughs> because, you know, we know how these things get put together, Kevin. We've been in some of these things. Yeah. Like, you know, she yeah. clearly was the right person or whatever. And didn't yeah. have, if she, I think if she had had full control over that thing, it probably would have turned out different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I just adore her. I think she's really wonderful. And she's awesome on Twitter, by the way. I recommend that everyone look at Maggie Freeling on Twitter and follow her. And she is, but uh, Laura, on the, sort of on the inside of this case, you know, working with people who are following leads and so forth. But the thing that I really love about Maggie is that she refuses to like do this crazy thing that so many people who are into this case do, which is like go on the conspiracy theory side of things. Isn't yes. that refreshing? It was refreshing because, you know, we, we live here. We know a lot of the state police in New Hampshire um, that have worked on this case. You know, I, I sent you guys a message I had gotten from one of them this week who was still talking about being on the search when it first happened. It, it is a different type of, you know, not to say that things don't happen here, but, you know, I think that every, I agree with her, that people that were involved in this case, you know, had the right intentions and did what they were supposed to do. So, when we see, like you said, so many cases where it's, you know, like the case we're going to talk about in the second part of the show, um, where the police are not doing what they're supposed to do. And there's some, they're, what was it that she was talking about? They're digging up the body. They're moving the body. Like, that's yeah. crazy talk. Yeah. So it was nice that she's not buying into that and that she's rational. Now, Kevin, it's unusual that the family of a victim, I mean, maybe it's not super unusual, but it's unusual here anyway. You know, we live here where the Murmury case happened. We, as Laura mentioned, and I told Maggie, like, we know a lot of the players in this case, mm-hmm. it's really unusual for this very antagonistic relationship to build up between the family of a victim. No, it's not. It's not. No, not in a cold case. Tell me more about that. No, I mean, if you've ever been at a, a murder trial and you've seen the way like the family interacts with the prosecutors, I mean, imagine if, this, if it were your family and you're there, you're looking to the government to be your advocate to bring justice uh, for your uh, loved one. And you really have a lot of your hopes pinned on their ability to do that. And you're very grateful, you know, and and there's, I mean, if I told you, okay, uh, yeah, so-and-so was convicted, what would be the first thing that the prosecutors did? They turned around and hugged the family, right? right? right. Now imagine all of that hope and that, you know, that need to have a, a champion to get you that closure and the cops can't do it. And that becomes very frustrating and angry. So you think about our Victor Paquette. Yeah, from our, just you know, one of that. our first books. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is something very similar. I, I have a, a friend who was uh, was a reporter and a, a big time editorial page writer here in the state. His grandfather was a murder victim. The case has never been solved, and just you know, has uh, you know, not a lot of good things to say about those investigators. Yeah. And I think that. I think that that's probably natural yeah. because you're angry and who can you be angry at? The mysterious person that took your loved one away or the person you can actually yell at you're frustrated with? Can't you like not blame the cops if they've already been to a house, they've already brought cadaver dogs there, they've already done the investigation? 
you know, I, yeah. what are the research? I said it but, was, uh, was hundred plus cold. How many cold cases are there right now that, that one tiny unit is working on? Uh, more than one hundred and twenty, and some of those are like multiple, right? You know, but it's three, it, it's hard people, it's yeah. hard to blame them for not wanting to go out and investigate a place they've already investigated. Yeah, I mean, what doesn't usually happen though, like that antagonism. Because you know that frustration and anger becomes uh, the feeling that they are keeping something from you, or they're, or they're intentionally not trying to help you. Right. I think that's less common, um, but no, I can totally see why. I will also say, you know, I did have in my past life, you know, time to interview some of the family members there, and it just seemed to me to be wait, you you interview members of the Maura Murray the Maura family. Murray family, okay, and uh, it just you know sort of. My read was that they were sort of unwilling to really open themselves up to the idea that, you know, that she was in a bad place. Like right. the, the only thing that they could wanted to believe was that there was some sort of nefarious intervention. She's murdered, and like they couldn't, you know, and the, you know, some of the facts that are there are that she had been uh, very troubled in the days leading up to her disappearance. She left school abruptly. She uh, was driving a car filled with liquor, uh, and uh, she had been drinking. Uh, she drove somewhere into the you know into the night, and when her car got stuck, she stayed with the car. She stuck a rag in the the tailpipe, and when a passing motorist came to give her aid, she said, "No, I already called for a tow truck when she hadn't done that," and she walked away. Right, and. Is it possible a serial killer came along and snatched her from the at side of the road moment. at just that moment? I mean, stranger things have happened, but I just, I, I, I just do not. I mean, if that's what happened, you'll eat your hat. I'm pretty excited to find out what is in the basement. Aren't you guys mildly curious to know what's in the basement? A completely other murder. Yes, this could be so exciting. Could be a dead cat. I can't wait. I might have to go like hang out there and just see what happens. Um, I think it's fascinating. That's true. I have, I have a, I have my own theory that I threw at Maggie. Yeah. Okay. What's your uh, theory? Because one of the big like things about this case is that she's never been to this Haverhill, New Hampshire before. Never been there before. Like that's super interesting. Like. You know, and she had called the Go Stow hotline to like get the directions to Stow. Uh-huh. And well, we don't know why she called, but we know she called the Go Stow hotline and that she had intentions on going That's to Stow, Stow Vermont. Vermont. Yeah. One of my theories is <laughs> this is dumb, except it's actually happened to people I know before. The highways of 93 and 89, they cross uh-huh. and then they spread apart. And then the highways of 89 and 91 cross and then spread apart. And then at one point up north, like 93 and 91, like cross and spread apart. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of those junctions where, like, for instance, uh, when you go, when you want to go south in New Hampshire, it seems like you should be going south, but you actually have to take 93 north to get to south of where you're going. Uh, Right. We know she had been drinking when she left campus. At least it looks like she has. Her car was full of alcohol. I think she just took a wrong turn. Like, I can tell you from experience, it is very easy to get to that 89-93 junction and Mm -hmm. just go the wrong way. Mm -hmm. They're both going north. It's a super easy exit to mess up. And, And if you, like, didn't go to Stowe all the time, but you've been a few times, and you pass Concord going 93 north instead of going the other way, 89 north, like... 
It would be so easy just to not know because it's all dark. It's not like our highways highways aren't lit here. (laughs) Even if you do know, that is a confusing intersection. Because that's how I used to go home from college when I went back to Vermont and uh, from New Hampshire to Vermont. And it was always tricky because, like you said, it's like you have to like, okay, you have to be in the right lane and then you have to get over in the right lane to merge onto 89 from 93. It's, It's confusing. I agree, Rebecca. But did you wash your car? Before you made that trip. <laughs> I did not. Anyway, um, a huge thanks to Maggie Freeling for letting me talk to her and being my source for all things Maura Murray investigation related. And I don't want to like pretend this case isn't interesting. It is interesting, even though we have our own like less skeptical theories about it. But there is a chance, a tiny chance, that someday... I will be eating my hat in this podcast. Kevin, are you afraid for me? Are you afraid that's going to happen? First of all, you don't have a hat. That's true. To eat. If you decide that instead you're going to eat your bra, then I could hook you up with one from Third Love. Okay. Maybe I can eat one of my old ones and then wear the new Third Love bra. Don't bother eating it. Just throw it out (laughs) and get yourself a new Third Love bra. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind. And the results? I can't say. You'd say. What are the I results? Did, you know what? I love when you talk about bras, Kevin. Oh, yeah. This is when I'm going to pass it to my friend, Laura Bricker. I want to hear Bricker. your personal bra testimonial, <laughs> Kevin. Tell me more about what you love about Third Love Bras. Well, I, I like that it makes you feel confident. Yes. And that it fits well, and so that you're comfortable. On my pecs? On your pecs. Yeah. Is that what they're called? No. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that the bras are very pretty, and, you know, they're also very soft. They have breathable cotton bras, and I know that because I do the laundry now because of your broken leg. You can't come down to the laundry. <laughs> it's just it's a horrible thing. They have a uh, 100% fit guarantee. They have everything a bra should good, have. Because I do know, it, it's like... I just never believed the math that there were like four cup sizes and, you know. Band sizes. Band sizes. And it's like. It's way more than four cup sizes, by the way. There's like a hundred cup sizes. Yeah. So that's why they have like, uh, I think uh, it goes up to double G. Yeah. For them. Yeah. Laura, are you happy with your perfect bra from Third Love? Surprisingly, it's kind of weird. I'm actually wearing it right now. Um, not even totally planned. Yes, I am. And they have, like, for different, you know, like, you all fit your bras differently. And, like, if you have an issue where you might sort of bulge out in certain areas, mm-hmm. they have a bra for that. You mean side boob? No, I'm talking about front boob. Like, if you have, like, a buxom <laughs> bosom. Mm-hmm. If you're like, whoa, hello, there's my boobs. Um, and you want to wear a t-shirt and you're like, ooh, that's not good. Guess what? That doesn't matter anymore because they have these lovely bras with these little um, sort of extra parts on them to kind of contain you and shape you and you look awesome. Yeah, and you get to try one for 60 days, wear it, wash it. If you don't love it, you can send it back and they will wash it and donate it to a, a woman in need. Nice. So you can go to thirdlove.com slash crime to find your perfect fitting bra. You'll get 15% off your first order. That's thirdlove.com slash crime, crime for 15% off today. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you can turn your dream into a reality just like we did with Squarespace. Oh my God, I cannot believe Squarespace is a sponsor. I'm so freaking excited. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're starting a new business, showcasing your work, publishing content, selling products, doing a podcast. Squarespace is the tool for you. How many Squarespace websites have you created? Well, let's see. CrimeWritersOn.com is Squarespace. Mm-hmm. LawAndOrderPodcast.com is Squarespace. Mm-hmm. Yep. HGTVPodcast.com is Squarespace. I 
love it. This is a personal, professional testimonial. If you are making a website and you're not using Squarespace, you need to stop what you're doing and use Squarespace. I love it. Yeah, it's like right out of the box. It works. The templates are great. They're beautiful. I mean, when we're talking about like the websites that we design, check them out. But like when I say like we designed them, we didn't really design them. It's a template. We just kind of put in all the stuff and they, they to show you like what's going to look fantastic. I taught a college course, remember? Oh, yeah. And, and I did the whole thing on Squarespace. Instead uh, of having like slides and PowerPoints, I just did it on Squarespace. Yeah. I love Squarespace. And they also have a very powerful e-commerce tool that helps you sell anything online. You get the analytics. To Email integration. They do everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And 24-7 award-winning support. So you can head to squarespace.com slash CWO. CWO. And you get a free trial. And you just go and you fool around. Try Play with it. Oh, yeah. You know, mix up the templates and, you know, just make it crazy. And when you love it and you're ready to launch, you use the offer code CWO, CWO. to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash CWO. Offer code CWO. Moving on. Gimlet Media, the so-called HBO of podcast networks, which was recently acquired, by the way, by Spotify, is out with a brand new podcast series called Conviction. Reporter Saki Kanafo profiles brash, self-assured, private eye Manny Gomez, who it seems will go to any length to prove his client was set up for an arrest by a crooked cop. A lot of detective stories start with the blonde. Manny's happens to be one of them. I'll never forget this. I'm walking out the court building, and this blonde Spanish mother with curly hair, long curly hair, comes over to me and says, I've been looking for you. You're that guy. She goes, my son needs your help. We're being harassed and tormented by the 42nd precinct. And I was told that you're the man to get it done. With all the trappings of a Raymond Chandler novel, Canafo follows Gomez into the streets and into jail, looking for evidence that will exonerate Pedro Hernandez and validate Gomez's self-image as a champion of justice. But is this same pride going to lead to his downfall? Now, we're going to be talking about plot points about conviction. So if you want to remain spoiler free, jump to the time code listed in the show notes. Now, Kevin, we just have to get it out of the way because people love us when we talk about production or they don't, but we have to talk about it. Gimlet Media makes the best sounding, Mm -hmm. most sound designed podcasts available for your ears. Yes or no? Yeah. Super lush. And that was the day that I came home and I had two options. Have the same feelings with him. He wants to die. I want to die too. Or get mad about it and do something about it. She decided to do something about it. And what that meant for Jessica, what that meant for a growing number of families in similar situations throughout the Bronx, was summoning a certain private detective. I didn't believe this at first. Sounds like a movie. Yeah, yeah. The way the music is mixed, the way the vocals are mixed. I will say, yeah, they, they take that that level very seriously it's like super good so whatever anyone's qualms might be with any other aspect of this podcast one of the qualms should not be the way it sounds that it doesn't sound good (laughs) they didn't put enough time into it it sounds extraordinary you know what it sounds like though what's that I was listening to it when I was driving 
and there's like this drumming thing that they do and like kind of leads into the music. Yeah. And it sounds like you got a knock in the back of your car. <laughs> <laughs> and it got me like three or four times. I was like, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then like, you know, the rest of the music can, but I kept forgetting. Anyway, <laughs> that's my qualm. Now, Toby, at the beginning of the podcast, we meet Manny Gomez. He's yes. a huge like caricature of a person, right? Correct. What do you think of that? Like the way that he's like, you know, painted with such broad strokes there. So for me, and this may not be for everybody, he's such a caricature and I think he works on his image. You know, for me at least, it almost seemed kind of unreal when it started. Like I was going to have to get past the fact that there was this character who seemed like somewhat unbelievable to me to get to the actual story. So in some ways, because they start right off with his voice. Can you tell me? What's your name? You kidding me? <laughs> Is this guy kidding me breaking my balls or what? Seriously? Well, like, just imagine, <laughs> just imagine, oh, okay. no, 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 just imagine we're, I'm like, I'm introducing you to, yeah. Um, so, hi, uh, we know each other, but for people who don't know, what's your name? I'm Private Investigator Manuel Gomez. And I, and I understand why they did that, but for me, it would have been, maybe better to have a little context first because I then had to kind of switch from like, who is this ridiculous person to, oh, okay, now this is an actual real story. Yeah. But I, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more. Now, Laura, like, what do you think of Manny? I mean, one of the things that a reporter, you know, Saki does right off the bat is he starts fact checking for us right off the bat. Like he, like immediately yeah. in the podcast. And one of the things, the, the huge strengths of this podcast is that throughout he fact checks everything and he lets us know he's fact checking it. And he kind of thinks this guy's full of shit. And yeah. he checks some of his small claims to sort of show us that this guy seems like he's full of shit. But like when he tells a story about his mother and trying to donate his own yes. eyes to his mother, he uses moments like that to sort of underpin the idea. This guy sounds like he's full of shit, but he's not. Where did you stand on, on him at the beginning of this podcast on Manny? So at the beginning of the podcast, I definitely was buying into it a little bit more. But I was like, it's, it was like Toby said, it was almost like he wasn't a real person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was like somebody from like, like a Robert Parker novel or something like, you know, he's like got his car and his music and his suit and his living above the laundromat. And like, it was like somebody and, and he's flawed, like a typical like PI in a mystery novel. I'm like, oh my God, this, this isn't even a real person. Uh, so in the beginning, I definitely was feeling more on board with him. And I was like behind the cause, fight the man, free the people. And then as things progressed, I was like, he's more full of shit than I thought. And then I'm like, yeah, and he's definitely pretty more biased than I thought. And then at the end, I'm like, I don't really know who to root for anymore. <laughs> so, but I really wish I, I could have been a fly on the wall when he drove into the park listening to uh, Phil Collins. That, that was like my favorite part. He sped to the park in his silver Corvette convertible, wearing one of his signature double-breasted suits. So I went out there about 10 o'clock at night. It was like a hot night. It's like 80 degrees that night. I show up. I'm listening to Phil Collins. Got the music pumping. You always listen to Phil Collins when you're going to go try to speak to a witness or well, a victim? It's nothing like listening in the air tonight at night with the top down and the wind in your hair. You want to come in like with your music blaring. You want to make a presence. You don't want to come in like, you know, like some kind of detective. 
if I come in there, listen to Journey or some music, and they see a vet all shiny and, and crisp and a convertible top down, the kids are like, wow, hot car. They're not going to think detective. Yeah, I mean, he really is sort of living a dream. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the stories seem so fanciful. And then when Saki facts checks them and gets them right, you end up second-guessing your second-guessing. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I guess it sounds up, but he... So every time, like, he'll say something outlandish, you have to wonder, maybe it actually... And, and, and Saki said this, too. I mean, it happened to him, and I think he was able to write it in such a way in the way that they you know frame the narrative that that sort of our feelings about him and the things that we think about Manny continue to evolve right I have to tell you for me even when he would fact check those little moments that are not to be true only because of my personal experiences in uh, sort of dealing with like big personalities I still wasn't totally like, all right, we got a full on hero here. Only because like I remember a long time ago I wrote a profile of this guy and he lives near us who is this like karate, like very, very big wig. He like and I'm sure I'm getting like the martial arts mixed up, but he like trained with the Shaolin monks. He's like worked with the FBI. What are you talking about? Anyway, I'm just I'm just like yeah. telling you, like I've met I've met someone like this before oh, who has okay. like, this huge backstory. Right. And he's like helped millions of kids and like he talks to you just like Manny talks to you. And when I look stuff up, like, yes, fact check, he has worked with the FBI. Yes, uh-huh. fact check, he did work in China. But that doesn't also mean he's also not full of shit, like in a million other areas of his life. You know what I mean? Right. And I I do think that we have a tendency to sort of like lean on the fact check. Yeah, you know, Rahm Emanuel is the mayor of Chicago. Does that mean he's also not like super loud and obnoxious? No, it does not mean that. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I mean, I'll, I'll give one of the strengths of the podcast is the way that the narrative arc is set. And when we see certain scenes, you know, I think at first we... We were introduced to this, you know, very um, unique character, and then we see him do his job, mm-hmm. and he's able to do his job, and then it points to a villain, and so then we, you know, learn to hate the villain, and then we get some of Manny's background and how it dovetails into that, and then we start having a little more ambivalence about his character. It's kind of S-Town, and, isn't right, it? It is very much like yeah, that, yeah. yeah. The big and, character, and then the journey with them. And the journey with the character, right. And part of it is set up, I mean, I have to give credit to the the writers here, about what you want to reveal when. Right. In episode one, it could start off like, Manny is this guy who was, you know, you know, fired from the police department, and now he's doing this. Spoiler uh, alert. <laughs> no, I know. But that's what I'm talking about. But, you, right, you, but the fact that you don't know that right away, you learn these other things, and I think that's what makes it an enjoyable narrative. So quick question for you yeah. to follow up on that, Kevin, because this is something that we talk about a lot. Some series should be dropped all at once, and yeah. some should be dropped week by week. Right. I do think that it's not the same for every series. Right. I think this is benefited tremendously by being dropped all at once, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there are some podcasts that really benefit from doing the Netflix thing, which is dumping them all and letting people binge them. I mean, it worked great for Serial to go week to week, not only because that was the concept. The cliffhangers. The cliffhangers, right. But it also allowed time for like their like real-time investigation to build and the buzz to grow. And I think everybody feels like they need to do this that as well if, when they're telling 
you know, a narrative story because they feel like, oh, next week it's going to be this and we're going to make a lot of money. I think whatever. people overestimate a lot of the diff- interest of their own narrative story, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, we talked about this when we did Bear Brook and we only, we did it week by week only because we knew that the end of every episode had a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Like, I think, for instance, the dropout yeah. should have been dropped as a binge. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I, I tell you, and I, I know we all agree with this. There have been some great podcasts that we've listened to and we've listened to the first four episodes for this. And then the next week comes around and we've forgotten that it's there. Or we like it or we've moved on to something else and we don't come back to it. Whereas if you have the whole thing, you will make time for it. And I find that, you know, the stuff that you can binge is the stuff that you could uh, certainly get through a lot. I just have one quick thought, not for everybody, because I I had to space this out. I couldn't binge it or I would have been like punching people out because the first couple episodes made me so enraged. So (laughs) it's nice it all came out at once, but it might not have gone so well if I'd listened to it too quickly. Well, I want to talk about the first couple episodes. Let's, Let's put Manny and what we learn about him on pause for a second. And let's go to the guy who for three solid episodes is painted or more is painted as the villain of the podcast. That's this officer Terrell. He is quite a character. And we hear this sort of a legend about him, how he like tortures teens in the neighborhood, tries to date all the moms and then like uses his like, you know, if they spurn him, he then like gets their sons into the system. And then like he beats kids up and he's getting kids to rat on other kids. But then we also get a first person, long form, sit down interview with him in the podcast. And we also get to know him from his point of view. And I'm not sure that improves the character for me. It makes him less of a villain. Toby, what did you think of this Terrell character and the way the podcast lets him unfold over these series of episodes? Well, I think it's good. I don't know if we've had another podcast where somebody is set up initially as, you know, the bad guy and then give him so much room to kind of explain himself and whether he sort of damns himself or not, I guess it kind of depends on your perspective. You know, I thought it was one of the really good things about this, this podcast. And, you know, even though like, I don't find him very sympathetic, but to kind of hear like his, his conception of himself and particularly the story he tells about, the one cop when he was growing up who scared the crap out of him and all his friends. I just didn't have respect for police officers. I didn't like the way they treated black people. I didn't, where I lived at, they always treated them bad. I lived right around the corner from the 8-1 precinct, and they used to treat us like shit. Terrell said there was one cop in particular that he and everybody else in his neighborhood hated. I don't remember his name, but I know we called him Rambo. Big guy. Rambo. Yeah, exactly. And how he... When he's older, he realizes that when Rambo was around, like, shit didn't happen. You know, people, like, he kept things under control through these methods. And, you know, it seems like to a certain extent, that's what uh, Terrell is trying to replicate a little bit. But then on the other hand, it's like, you know, what both Rambo and Terrell are doing is basically terrorizing people into obedience, Mm. you know, which I find problematic. And I I think the second thing is you also, by giving both Manny and Terrell so much talking time, you know, you you start to see how they're they're basically two sides of the same coin. It's true. And uh, Laura, I don't know about your impressions of Terrell, but I developed an incredibly awful impression of Terrell's lawyer. (laughs) And they fight. I mean, we've had some knockdown drag out fights in the street. And he used physical force. Cops don't fight. Cops use physical force. That's Eric Sanders, Terrell's attorney. 
a lot of cops have hired him to sue the department over civil rights abuses. He's known for being ferocious, for going hard. Words are important in this business. That's why I said that. There are are no fights. Fights. No. Police officers don't fight. Fight is when you're challenging someone because you want to engage in combat. That's not what police officers do. What they do, they use physical force. That's what they do. All right. What he's talking about is using physical force to overcome someone resisting arrest, to tell someone, give them a lawful order to move. So that's why I jump in when I hear these words, because most people don't think words mean something. It means something. They teach you to use physical force, not to fight people. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. God, that guy. I hated that guy. Oh, my God. I blacked him out, Rebecca. I hated him so much. What an ass that guy was. It's use of force, Laura. It's use of force. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to go back to the boxing class at the gym. (laughs) I don't know. Well, it was like they agreed to the interview and they said all these crazy parameters. And then the guy just sat there and yelled at the reporter. And I'm like... He's asking totally fair questions and reasonable questions and giving the opportunity to ask them. I was like, oh, I think I was actually like yelling because I was walking on the track at this point listening to this. Um, It's been too icy to walk outside recently. (laughs) Yeah, um, that that so that did not help his situation. That did not help um, how we viewed him because, you know, you want to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like maybe he thinks he's doing the right thing in the way that he's doing his job. But unfortunately, much like True Detective, we're not going to hear because we never got to hear actually any information because they just ended the interview. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Now we heard one, enough. Now, one of the things, Kevin, that, you know, my observations of the podcast, Pedro Hernandez's story, like for me, this podcast, if it has one flaw... It's that there is kind of like a clinical aspect to it and that Pedro himself, who is the subject of much of the plot of the podcast, is also absent for most of the podcast because he's in jail. Yeah. With a little bit of interview with his mom, but it's really Saki exploring the story. It's really it's really the story about Manny and it whether is, or not correct. his he is a hero or a villain or right. whatever that framework right. is. But and the then, title Conviction is not about It's not about Pedro Hernandez. It's getting about, convicted. It's, it's about, about his conviction. own conviction. Correct. Right. Yeah. Correct. And so there is sort of a clinical aspect to it, the first couple episodes in that way, that I think finally starts to break down and get a little bit more personal and interesting. Every time we hear Saki's producer sort of asking questions and them asking questions in the moment, it feels very warm and in person. I just want to understand what's going on. And if people have a misperception about you, then I want to understand that. People don't know about this and they don't care. The public doesn't care. All they care about is Pedro Hernandez. That's what they relate him to. Nothing else. I think that that it is relevant, but you're saying it's not. But 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 Listen but, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I don't have to be here for this. You know what? It's over. See? See? There That's how I saw it. Allegations against him, and of course no, no, I looked at him. This is not an allegation against him. Okay. Just so good, right, Kevin? Very good. So then we find out in this twist, which wasn't a huge twist to me, only because of the way that he did his work. But that Manny was also a cop. What were your thoughts then, Kevin? I wasn't surprised that he had been a cop. Uh, I was surprised about how many complaints that he got as a cop. Yeah. If he had been a cop and you're like, he was like Serpico. Perfect cop. Right. And he, he, he had gotten kicked off the force because he was too much of a... A revolutionary, and he wanted to fix things. Doesn't have as many complaints as Terrell. <laughs> no, no, true. Terrell had true. pages of complaints. But, <laughs> but, but I think Saki explained, you know, that like, you know, most officers might get one or two, and okay, Terrell had thirty something, 
But Manny had like what nine or ten? Yeah. In a short career, quick. Yeah. Yeah, very quick. And I don't know. I don't know if any of them were. I mean, he was being accused of falsifying. I forget what they. I mean, it, it sounded like was there was it, the drug one, which I thought was kind of bogus. He was being set up. The and he IAB knew it. thing. Yeah. But the one that really um, did not sit well with me was the whole domestic one. Yes. I mean, the reason he got kicked off the force. Yeah. Yeah, that was just uh, hard to listen to. Very hard to listen to, especially because we could hear the 911 tapes of him screaming at people to get back. And we can hear the woman screaming in the background and we can hear him totally losing his cool. And, you know, I think as a police officer, you kind of think people learn to sort of temper that when they're in an emergency situation. And it didn't really seem like he was able to do that. Do you know what I mean? I I know what you mean. And I think that's our sort of our first hint of, like I said before, just because what someone said is true doesn't mean they're also not full of shit. Because yeah. his lack of like self-reflection around that, like, yeah, this is a person who always finds himself in the, finds himself in the middle of something, right? So when he's a cop, after suing the department, he finally becomes a cop. Then he has like a guy following him around an undercover cop trying to like basically like sting him when he's on the job and he's like no and then he gets like a thing and he's like but it wasn't my fault like it's always like it's not my fault like she was ruining the interior of my car it's not my fault not we were in a horrible abusive terrible relationship and I did some things I shouldn't have done like he can't even bring himself to say that that tells you something yeah well that was sort of the thing that was the uh his flaw and they pointed it out when uh you know at, at, with the police review board and then the, the judge said it, essentially the same thing his inability to be self-reflective and to, to to take ownership for his role in you know and his shortcomings you know you know hey you pointed a gun at everybody can't you see oh no i needed I to had to i had to yeah what would you have done right i don't it, know maybe not been in a car with somebody who would have put lotion everywhere and then wouldn't have punched out my windshield because I'm a normal person and that's not what my relationships look like. That's what I would have done. I mean, I think he, ex he explains it when they're, when they're driving around with that, with his buddy, the lawyer, and he's like very firm. It's like the world is black and white. You know, there's good guys and bad guys. And he's very clear that he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. So if he's getting the conflicts is with the bad guys. So yep. Whatever he's doing is is sort of justified. Yeah, I mean, you also call him a complicated cat in your notes. Complicated <laughs> cat. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, it seems like his character arc goes from like he's like this this caricature, and then he becomes he seems kind of complicated, and then at the end, you just get the feeling that it's sort of this black and white world, and he got screwed by the cops when he got kicked off the force for what he thinks is, is a BS reason. And so therefore they're bad. And then his, what he needs to do to be a good guy is to basically battle them. Right. And mm -hmm. you know, that justifies whatever he does. He's kind of flailing around. Yeah. You know, he, he's trying to hurt the cops as much as he possibly can. Uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. There's this arc where it seems more complicated. And then by the end, you're like, oh, no, this is just like this bitter guy who's trying to get back at people he think wronged him. And this is the way he's going to do it. And and he's going to sort of self-aggrandize himself by saying, I'm doing it for these people. But in the little bit of sort of self-reflection that you do get from him, it's like, no, you know, I hate the police force. Now, Laura, I don't want to be remiss here. Okay. We have an actual defense investigator we do. 
on this podcast. Somebody <laughs> who did work designed uh, for yes. the same outcome that yes. Manny does in this podcast. And that is you, Laura Bricker. Mm-hmm. You that is had me, yes. Manny's job. Of course, you didn't work privately. You worked for public defender, but you did this yeah. kind of work where you went and interviewed yes. people, you vetted witnesses, you tried to find new witnesses, you tried to poke holes in the state's case. We hear that Manny's methods are basically that he will just sit in somebody's hallway for hours until they open the door or he'll, you know, buy a bunch of hamburgers and liquor and just to to try to get the videotape. He will never take notes. It will always be on videotape or recorded and affidavits. What did you just think of like his investigative methods as a defense investigator? Well, it wouldn't have um, that wouldn't have flown where I worked. Um (laughs) (laughs) to put it mildly, um, you know, like I I always took notes, Um, you know, we didn't turn over our notes sometimes because you wrote up a report, but you always had a report based on your notes and you had information and paperwork to back up what you did. And, and part of what I did was always um, very clear that you couldn't intimidate, bully, harass, stalk um, witnesses because that was not going to look good. Um, that was that was not um, above board. So as much as I, I like I love somebody that's like crusading for criminal justice and, and, and keeping the system fair. It, I don't really feel like that's his actual mission here. It, maybe it is. Um, I felt his mission was more like getting back at the police by doing this. So it's it's hard because you, you look at the case of Pedro and you think to yourself, okay, would Pedro have gotten out of jail if Manny hadn't done all that crazy stalking stuff? Probably not because they would never find that guy that had two first names. William Stevens or Stevens Williams. William Stevens, <laughs> Stephen Williams. Yeah. Like they took him, what, a year and a half to find that guy or something? Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard because you're like, okay, so clearly this guy shouldn't have been in jail and clearly uh, this guy's crazy techniques got him out, but does the end justify the, you know what I mean? Like, is this what we've become that that's what you have to do to actually fight the system? Or are both sides of the system so corrupt that both sides have to sink to that level to get the job done? So I I said something earlier tonight to Kevin when I was listening, because I finished the podcast as I was like making dinner and I turned to Kevin and without saying any names, I said, you know who Manny is? Manny is a certain criminal justice crusading true crime podcaster investigator (laughs) who by the way does a lot of good work and has had good outcomes but whose methods are guaranteed to someday have a not so good result because of they're outside the bounds of what a person who is doing this kind of work should do in order to help an investigation in order to help a defense Mm -hmm. in order to and I think a great example of that in this podcast is when you have those lawyers that get brought in from the Kennedy Foundation who are like dude stop it stop it but the problem is he still gets the good results in that Mm -hmm. case I think because they were just so embarrassed because there had been so much media attention Mm -hmm. the result was still the same but without the media attention I do think that Manny would have totally fucked up this case with this anti-prosecution crusade based on, like, not a lot except for him saying, and he says it himself, I'm like a freight train. Like, I don't stop. That is the way to get this done. It's the only way I know how to do it. Which, by the way, it's not that different from what Terrell said is the only way to 
clean up a neighborhood. Right, Kevin? Right. In Murder in the Cathedral, T.S. Eliot said, the last temptation is the greatest treason. That's literary. To do the right thing for the wrong reason. Oh. And I think that's what I think about with Manny, that he's doing all this stuff. He's a justice crusader, but his true motivations are more selfish, and it has to do with vindicating himself to the world and to being, you know, if I can't be the justice achiever as a, a, a man with the badge, then I'm going to do it for the other side because the system's corrupt and I know it. He gets the good results, but he's doing it for the wrong reason. I mean, he, when the charges get dropped, he calls his mom and he's like, I won my case. They dropped the charges in my case. Like it's his case. Now, maybe, you know, you'd anybody working on it would refer to it that way. But it seemed more like he was saying this was about me. Right. I did this. Um, and to some extent, he did. He he had a hand in it. But, I mean, how far did he go to get Stephen Williams, William Stevens, to perhaps exaggerate how many people he... Uh, or be coerced into be saying... Be coerced, yeah, you know, accidentally. Yeah, so there's that. I did really enjoy the discussion about Icarus. If it didn't happen in real well, life... he brought it up. So it's, it was fair game to use that narrative device because Manny was the one who brought up Icarus. It was like, I feel like if he the He has rep- a painting right. of Icarus in his house. If the reporter had made that, that analogy, something. it right. would have been it, stupid. It would have been stupid. And if it were, <laughs> and, and if it were in Toby's book, right, is <laughs> the private eye, we'd be like, Toby, come on, a little too obvious, you know, but, yeah. but again, because it's, because it's real, it's like, it's- He's misinterpreting the story. He's misinterpreting the story. Which is exactly his life. Yeah. It's all about hubris. Yeah. And he and he actually uses the word hubris. Yeah. Which is like so funny. It's like everything you think about him is what he says about other people. All right. Well, I, I think it's time. Let's do what we do. Let's tell our podcast audience and this true crime review audience that we have who wants to know what we think. Should they check out if they have not? Conviction from Gimlet Media. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Laura Bricker. I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with thumbs up. This was well done in terms of the production, the interviewing, the audio, the access to the people in the story. And it's a story that really makes you think about the criminal justice system so that when you finish and you hear about the different characters, I guess, you know, I finished, I, I wasn't really sure who I was supposed to root for, but I think it raised a lot of questions. And I, you know, I, one of the things I said about this is this is the type of story and this is the type of case that Serial Season 3 could have found, should have found, and really had that season stand out because it was just, there was a lot going on. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Conviction from Gimlet Media? Yeah, I'll give it a thumbs up. There's enough stuff, like it does, your ideas about things change as it goes along. Um, I think it, it does shine a light on some issues with law enforcement. The voices are good. Yes, it was just good. It was entertaining. I really liked it, too. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I think the strongest thing about the podcast is the sense of place. I think they did the Bronx a lot of justice. Uh, We heard a lot of sounds. We met a lot of the people who live there. We heard a lot of great voices. Some of my favorite characters in the podcast were, for example, Pedro's mom. You know, we hear a lot of really interesting, strong women characters. I really would have um, loved to have heard more of that in-person questioning of our reporter and producer when they are talking to people. I think those are some of the strongest moments in the podcast, like when he challenges the lawyer on the lawyer's assertion that certain questions aren't fair game. Like journalistically, those were some of the most interesting moments in the podcast. 
And while I don't think everybody might find this story as compelling as, say, like in a Nanzayed Heyman Lee story or like a Bear Brook case, just because of the cases themselves, it's not about the case. It's character study. It's very well done for what it is. It's basically a movie and it is basically perfectly produced. So I don't have much bad to say. Thumbs up for me on Conviction. What about you, Kevin? I'm also a big thumbs up. I think that Conviction shares more of its DNA with S-Town than it does with Serial. And it's rare that you can capture a legitimate character and follow that character on a real journey where something significant happens to them and that we get to see, show me a, a hero and I'll write you a tragedy, Right is uh, another great quote. And, and, and I think this is what we've seen. This ends up being uh, tragic uh, because you tell his story and you think that he's a hero, but in the end, he's maybe doing more harm than good in some cases. So it's a great thing to uh, to binge, and I give it a thumbs up. It's a great thing to rage walk to, and if you're going to do that, get your Rothies. Do it. You can get the flat, the point, the loafer, or the sneaker. Great styles, classic comfort from Rothies for women and for girls, not to mention the color and pattern selection is amazing. And they're always updating their lineup. Remember when that Meghan Markle? Yes, I do. Was wearing her Rothies in Australia. The beautiful Meghan Markle. Yeah, best of all, Rothy's are made from recycled plastic water bottles. Hard to believe that you're walking around with that soft shoe that used to be something you were drinking from. (laughs) (laughs) We love our Rothy's, and we know that you will, too. Right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for our listeners. Use code CRIME CRIME to get free shipping with no minimum. Plus, you'll get free shipping and free returns or exchanges on your Rothy's shoe. So go to Rothy's. R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com and enter crime to get your new favorite flats and free shipping. It's a no-brainer shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable and free shipping. So get yourself a pair today. Rothy's.com promo code CRIME. Get this deal while it lasts. What else you got, Kevin? Well, we're brought to you by Amazon Prime Video's new docu-series, Lorena. Nice. Brought to you by executive producer Jordan Peele. It's a Sundance official selection that shares Lorena Bobbitt's side of the story and investigates the headlines and press coverage 25 years later. I have to say, they put a pronouncer in here so that people know that it's Lorena Yes, as if they haven't heard the story. I think there's a lot of millennial podcasters who are like, what is this? Come on, we know this story. But... Who's Lorna? Lorna, that's right. I mean, the story was just irresistible because of... You know what happened to because John of the Wayne? Details, Bob. Right. Yes. But what do we not know about the story? And that's what we're going to hear in this series: the scandal you know, the story you don't. Watch the new four-part docu series, Lorena, now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast: a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. It was a bad trip, man. (laughs) A guy in Houston just looking for a quiet place to smoke some dope wandered into an abandoned home earlier this week. No sooner did he light up when he noticed he wasn't alone. Someone had left a tiger there. No, an actual tiger. The big cat was in a cage that was secured only with a screw driver and a nylon strap. When the man called 911 to report the tiger, the police wanted to know exactly how much pot he had been smoking. <laughs> Once convinced he wasn't having a hallucination, authorities were able to safely transport the tiger to a nearby sanctuary. No word on who actually owns the beast 
But side note, it's actually illegal in Texas to own a big cat. Yeah. As it should be. So, panel, uh, this stoner remained pretty calm in a crisis. So my question for you, Laura Bricker, is what would you do if you discovered a tiger in your secret pot-smoking hideout? Hey, kitty kitty, you want some? (laughs) (laughs) Want to pee on my pretty litter and see what color it turns out? (laughs) I know, it's like drug testing cat litter. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Toby Ball? What would you do if you discovered a tiger, a real-life living scary tiger, in your favorite pot-smoking hideout? Uh, I assumed this tiger would be smiling, and I would just wait and watch it as it slowly disappeared and leaving only its big tiger smile behind. <laughs> it's like a Cheshire cat. Yeah. Feed your head. Ken, what would you do? I'd be like, who let that tiger here in Studio C? Well, I'm trying to blaze up one of these jazz cigarettes, man. It's crazy. I think I would declare a national emergency. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, we should probably end on that note, but before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a Cat of the Week this week? We don't. We have a great Dog of the Week for you, Rebecca. Yes. Thank you, Laura. I need a Dog of the Week. I'm not feeling so great. That's okay. Um, We have Louis the Dalmatian. He's hoping to be considered. Recently, Louis ate a dishcloth and needed emergency surgery to have it removed. Graphic surgery pick included in the email here. Thankfully, he's made a full recovery and is back to his normal self. When he's not eating dishcloths, Louis enjoys chewing his bones and burying said bones in the pot plants. So... (laughs) Kind of apropos after our last Very nice. discussion. Good for you, Louie. Does Louie live on Murder Mountain? <laughs> 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 no. Um, he lives lazing on the couch, especially if it has a cushion. Hope you're well. Thanks for the podcast. None of my friends listen to podcasts, so you guys are my podcast buddies, Alicia and Louie in South Australia. So I'm thinking pot plants might actually be like potted plants in Australia, ah. but um, mm. I'm thinking mm. pot plants because of the tiger. So yeah. yeah. Alicia, you are our real life friend too just so you know yes. and we will totally come visit you in australia anytime especially if you work for an airline or you can hook us up with free plane tickets especially if you have pot plants and <laughs> <laughs> just saying and some lsd for toby all right laura bricker people want to reach out to you and offer you a free plane ride to australia to visit them and their canine friends and their pot plants how can they find you on twitter at Laura Bricker. And Toby Bobby want to reach out to you and commiserate with you because they also have a horrible cold. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, who want to reach out to you and give you crap for giving me all these germs, how can they find you online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you, please join the amazing community in our official Crime Raiders on Facebook discussion group. We're there all the time. You can hang out with us there. It's pretty awesome. Go to our website to sign up for our newsletter and support this show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You will get access to the much heralded Married with Podcast, our spinoff podcast that Kevin and I make in which we discuss all manner of things marriage related. Plus Toby's amazing Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Plus you'll get access to Laura Bricker's Rage Walking, True Crime Fitness Fun Group. You get all three of us in multiple mediums. It's very exciting. Go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio 
Otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where ground-penetrating radar is always discovering anomalies. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later, man. You guys, I just watched the most <clears throat> fucking bananas episode of House Hunters. <laughs> <laughs> where, where were they moving? Uh, they're li- they looking living? in like Virginia. Anyway, they ended up buying a French provincial house that needed a ton of work. And we had this like sunken, built-in cheetah print sofa because it had all like all been redone like in the nineteen seventies. Cheetah print. And she was like, "I think we need to reupholster that sofa." And I'm like, "I think you should take out the sunken, built-in, round nineteen seventies champagne room strip club cheetah print sofa. Not reupholster it. I think it should come out." Anyway, it was bananas. That's why I was late coming down here because I was wanted to finish watching that episode. How are you doing, guys? Hey, Kevin. Yeah. You know, we've been telling people that now is a great time to become a supporter of Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. There's never been a better time to support us at Patreon.com. Why is that? Because there's all sorts of new benefits. You can listen to Married with Podcasts. That's true. I've gotten so many emails saying Married with Podcast is everyone's new favorite podcast. Let's listen to it now on Patreon. You can send us your questions about your relationship. That's right. And we can try to keep you from getting a divorce. That's right. Should we play a little clip right now? Let people know what they'd be getting? All right. Let's do it. All right, this is a question from Tatiana. Do you ever want to record your conversations with your spouse to prove they occurred? I've thought of employing a full-time court reporter to capture these important conversations and give a readback when necessary, which is often. The reason I love this question, the reason it's juicy, uh-huh. is that it immediately activates the dueling shoulder angels, right? Yeah. Because the uh, devil one on the left shoulder is like, fuck yeah, I do. I totally want to be able to record and play back this conversation and be like, see... See what you said? (laughs) (laughs) That is the devil's side. (laughs) But uh, there's also the more positive influence here where I want to say, Tatiana, like, A, I want to know what kind of conversations you're talking about uh, because I have a little red flag here. I have a red flag and then like a not so red flag. Mm -hmm. So I used to be in a terrible relationship. Terrible. Like terrible relationship that was bad for me uh-huh. uh we're no longer together obviously um, <laughs> thank god all right i was wondering where you were going there first. but uh the hallmark of this terrible relationship was the jekyll and hyde personality of my partner mm-hmm. where he would sometimes be a night like an abusive emotionally frigid nightmare and then like 96% of the time would be fine. But the whole thing was that when he was fine and when things were good, he literally couldn't wrap his head around the fact that like the night before, the day before, it wasn't just that he was angry, is that he had been like a different person. If that is the situation you're in, the solution, by the way, is never to tape your spouse. Don't do it. Like that's I should just say straight up, like, don't actually do that. It's not a good idea no matter what the situation you're in is. But if that's the situation you're in, 
the fact of whether or not your husband believes you or not or doesn't remember or not doesn't matter. What matters is the way that you're being treated and and the and and what the relationship is actually like in those moments. I'm not assuming that's what you're talking about, but I just want to throw it out there if it's like that. I promise you taping it will not help matters. You need other kinds of help. If this is just the other kind of uh, marital situation, which I'm guessing is more like Kevin and mine, where both of us very often assert that the other person said something, both of us do it. And Mm -hmm. we're like, I never said that. And you're like, yes, you did. You just said that. If it's just that. You just said that? Or is it? I told you a week ago exactly. that we were going out to dinner with the Fleischmans. Right. Or uh, the you know, very much more common thing of like, right before we left the house, I said, hey, can you please do the laundry and this, this, and this? And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah of course. And then it's just like completely forgotten about. And it's just like- You the, said you would do the laundry. It's just the, the yeah. regular sort of mm-hmm. thing that it, like they make, they make you crazy sort yep. of thing. Yep. If it's just that, no, taping them is not the answer either. Because what you're describing is actually just what it's like to live with and be married to somebody. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I'm trying to think more about like what the actual issue is because... What's the upside of taping somebody though and playing it back for them other than saying, see, I told you so? Because that's the only thing you'd get out of that. How about this? Alexa, (laughs) what did my husband (laughs) say he would do with the trash? No, exactly. Yeah, but imagine even something dumb, okay? Uh So imagine that try the trash situation is like perfect, okay, right? Yeah. So you example. said you would take out the trash. No, you said you were gonna take out the no, trash. No, no, no. Like, oh, all right. I'm, I'm, just, play, I'm playing wrong. Sorry, let's folks. Just make it like it actually happens in our house. <laughs> I leave the house, I'm like, hey, can you take out the trash or whatever? And I you say have to take out the trash. And you literally say, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then as I'm pulling back in the house, I see you quickly mad dash putting on your cause you you realize in the moment that you forgot. What's in it for me to be like, let me play back to you what you said you would do like what benefit is there other than me just being like see you let me down see i told you so Uh that is actually not as as good as it feels in the moment it doesn't add anything good to the relationship to have those aha gotcha moments Mm -hmm. they're just traps they're emotional traps and they're not good i agree wow that sounds awesome (laughs) it does isn't it a good podcast it is God, that, we gave some terrible advice just then. Terrible. Totally I unqualified. I don't know what clip we use, so I'll just <laughs> take your word for it. All right. Head on over right now. You'll be supporting all of our work here at Partners in Crime Media, including These Are Their Stories, a Law & Order podcast, including Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, including Crime Writers On, a show we love making for you every week. When you support us on Patreon, it helps us do this work. Head on over right now. Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media.